This gun of the hand is for the taking of human life. We believe it is wrong to take life. That is only for God. Welcome to another edition of the Narrative First Podcast, the weekly podcast where story is always king. I am your host, Jim Hull, the voice of Narrative First, and this is episode number 35, Narrative Science and the Dawning of the Singularity. Welcome back, everyone, to another rousing round of story structure and story analysis. Hope you had a great week of writing and that you're slowly but surely getting over March Madness, and that life is getting down to a more comfortable pace so that you can actually get some stories done this year. Uh, Some follow-up from last week's episode. For some reason, there has been an astronomical increase in podcast listens uh, for people downloading the show. It's almost like double. I don't know what exactly happened. Pretty sure it was my impression last week. Hopefully some of you couldn't figure it out, but hopefully some of you could figure out who it was. Might even have to repeat it this week. It's really, really encouraging to see that. You know, I've, I don't even check the stats until I actually put up a podcast and then I go and I look and I see this huge number. It's like 86% increase in listens and it's great. Either 86% more people have iPhones or figured out how to download podcasts or somebody's hearing something about the podcast or getting some value out of it. And so it's really great, really encouraging. And I hope to keep giving you some really great information here. Stuff, you know, I listen to other, I try to listen to other screenwriting podcasts. And a lot of them are about the business and like what it's like to be a screenwriter, which is cool and fun to imagine. Well, I wonder what it'd be like to drive a Tesla around every day. But here, what I want to do is make it just all about story, story structure. Obviously, about 95% Dramatica explaining that to people. And um, just getting excited about the actual craft of writing. I mean, you know, Dramatica is all about the the actual, what it is you're talking about. It doesn't really tell you how to say it. So like the other podcasts, they're really, really good at giving you insight into how to actually get it done and what people are looking for and how, how to say it. But when it comes to like what it is you're saying, not exactly what you should be writing about, but how to uh, construct what it is you want to write about, then this podcast would be the one. So if you have anybody that you know that is into screenwriting or writing in general, you know, we we don't discriminate here. Novelists, playwrights, all, all kinds of people who try to tell stories, marketers, make sure you tell them about the Narrative First podcast. And then we can triple that podcast listening number. And so I could feel really good about myself on a Monday. I should also mention too that when you're a Narrative First client, you get access to the Narrative First uh, Sleem, the Narrative First Slack team channel. Sleem is a combination of Slack and team put together when you've just had a, a nice cup of coffee. So the Narrative First Sleem channel, you have access to so you can ask questions. And But I, I found that most people, when they seek uh, consultation or, you know, secret, they just want to do one-on-one. So if you're looking for more of a group discussion, make sure you go to discuss.dramatica.com. That is a uh, discourse or yeah, discourse site that I set up about two or three years ago. I forget how long ago I set it up. I'm always looking for more, more better ways to, to create things for Dramatica. I, I think I started out with Convor was the thing that I had a long time ago, and then I thought uh, Google Plus was going to be the place to go, and then and then once Google Plus died, which I was sure was going to be a, a huge hit, and everybody gives me crap about, 
then I looked around and I found Discourse, which is uh, a great forum. You know, there's really, really great discussions. Um, people are creating their own stories, like a group story, kind of like what we do in the story embroidery class. People are asking questions all the time about different aspects of the theory. So if you have any questions and you want more of a group uh, discussion about it, make sure you go to discuss.dramatica.com, and it's a part of the dramatica.com central site. This week for Throughline Thursdays, we're going to be doing Her. I have, let's see, a handful of stories that are all about artificial intelligence and about the future of technology. It seems like everybody is on the same wavelength. And then this week, uh, Elon Musk, who I just found out is the same age as me, which is depressing because I haven't really invented <laughs> the Tesla car or I'm not sending people to the moon and I'm not finding new ways to hook up technology to, to, uh, to people's brains directly. I'm just talking about story. He talked this week about Neuralink, which is, yeah, which is precisely that, is a way of uh, getting closer and closer to the singularity. And it'll be very interesting because our minds, uh, at least the dramatical model of the mind, is based on this idea, uh, you know, the, the base elements of the mind or the, the base building blocks are knowledge, thought, ability, and desire. And, you know, those are the internal representations of mass, energy, space, and time respectively, right? So knowledge is the mass of the mind. Ability is the space of the mind, which is a little hard to understand. Desire is the time of the mind. And energy is the thought of the mind. Knowledge and thought are easy to understand, but building desire... I'll leave a sh link in the show notes, but Melanie does a great job of describing this, obviously, since she's the one who came up with it all. It'll be really interesting because those are the building blocks. Those are the building blocks of narrative, right? So that's why narrative works the way it does. It's why there's four through lines, four different contexts of conflict. You know, you have the uh, the I perspective, the you perspective, the we perspective, and the they perspective. That all comes out of knowledge, thought, ability, and desire. And so does uh, the main character, influence character, uh, relationship story and overall story through lines. So what happens when we augment or increase our abilities to understand the universe around us? Will we see more than just mass energy, space and time? Or will it just be an accelerated version of it? It'll be it'll be really interesting if a lot of people are really interested in having computers hooked up directly to their brains. But as far as story is concerned, you know, like 20 years ago, it was sacrilege to consider that uh, an application, let alone a story theory, could be a model of the, the human mind, and that narrative is actually just an analogy to a single human mind trying to solve a problem. You know, and it's been 20 years now, the last 10 years, with the, everybody's access to smartphones and everybody's deep connection to social networks, like, it, more and more people are more open to the idea and more accepting of it. So it'll be really compelling to see where dramatic, where the theory of narrative goes in the next 20 years. I'm sure it'll be way beyond what, what is going on now. So make sure I'll, I'll leave a link to the news article on Neuralink if you, you haven't heard about that. And, of course... If you want to have a better understanding of how the uh, the mind works and you're you're working in a secret lab, you can always contact narrativefirst.com slash contact and we'll give you all the details about that. In the spirit of all those technological advances, we're doing her for the Throughline Thursdays this week, which is the Spike Jones film from three years ago with Joaquin Phoenix 
and Scarlett Johansson uh, about a guy who's suffering through his failed marriage and you know is in a in a future where this new operating system comes online and it's all about people trying to figure out you know their relationships with technology which is why it's it's just I just felt it was apropos with all the stories I'm working on uh, with clients and also with this news from Elon Musk this week that I figure, well, this would be a perfect opportunity to go ahead and do that film. So you'll see the through line Thursdays. You'll see the main character, obviously, is Theodore Twombly, and he's stuck in a fixed attitude. Uh, you know, his, his attitude is that he's just obsessed. He's just kind of uh, ruminating over and over again on, you know, the loss of his marriage. And through the main character through line, we see through his eyes, we get images of what that relationship was like and, you know, just kind of being stuck just in, in remorse and sadness at the loss. And then the influence character through line is uh, Samantha, which is the Scarlett Johansson, the OS1 character. And she's in a unique situation in that, you know, she doesn't have a, an actual physical body yet. She's not letting that stop her. So it's really interesting when you juxtapose the influence character against the main character, they always have something in common. That's why you get the, the you and I are both alike sort of thing. And when you're writing your own story, it's, it's really important and it, it helps out if you can kind of find where that similarity is. Uh, if you run it through Dramatica, it'll help you do that automatically, just by virtue of how you set up the different through lines. But if you're working on it on your own, just starting to write a story, and you can always think of that, that you and I moment. And the reason for that is, is when you look at the Dramatica table of story elements, you'll see that the main character and influence character through lines are always diagonally across from each other. On the one hand, that's because it creates the most opportunity for conflict, right? Because all the items in the model are set up in such a way that those that are diagonally across create the greatest amount of conflict. When you put Theodore in mind or fixed attitude, so he's he's stuck in that fixed attitude and that's the source of his conflict. Conflict? Ooh, that coffee's getting to me. I might have to have some more. Oh, that's good stuff. That puts uh, Samantha in situation. So the two of them are stuck, okay? That's the, that's the you and I are both alike part. They're both stuck. So he's stuck reminiscing or feeling guilt or whatever his, you know, just stuck in that remorseful attitude, that sad place where he can't get out of it. Kind of like Lee from last week, you know, where he's just like, I can't beat it. Well, that should be my, wait, I just can't beat it. I'll have to work on that one. Um, <laughs> with that in mind, that puts Samantha in situation. So likely, Theodore is stuck in that fixed attitude, that bad attitude. And across the way is Samantha, who's stuck, but she's not stuck with her attitude. She's just stuck in the fact that she doesn't have a real body, right? She's just this technology, and she has the, the wealth of knowledge of billions of years all stored up inside of her, but she can't really physically do anything. They could likely have, and it's been a while since I've seen it, but maybe they do have a you and I are both alike dialogue. I feel like they do. They both have that same sort of being stuck is a problem for them. The part where it's not alike is she's external and he's internal, and she's actually doing something about it. So she's not letting that external state get to her. The way it works, the reason why she actually has influence is because Theodore recognizes enough of himself in her to be able to think like, okay, well, you know what? She, oh, she's going through the same things I am. So maybe well, she's getting more success out of what she's doing. So maybe I should, maybe I should try her way. And that's when the main character actually changes their resolve at the end of the story. They're actually adopting the influence character's point of view. They don't necessarily take on their exact uh, problem. They take on 
their own version of that problem from their point of view. So while, you know, she has this, she's driven by this desire just to like, you know, fulfill her dreams and do all that stuff, regardless of her external state, Theodore is stuck. He's like the ultimate hipster. He's just completely self-obsessed. And it's not until the end of the film when he's actually able to become more aware of everything around him that he's actually changed and grown and been able to let go of that guilt and that remorse for his wife because of his interaction, because of his the challenge that had come from Samantha. So that's how the the influence character and the main character work. You know, they have parts that are similar. You know, that's the the, the static part. It's not always static. It depends on what the, the story is. But there'll be a part that's similar and a part that's different. The part that's different is always external, internal. At least that's the way the dramatic model is set up right now because the model is set up that the problem's either within us or it's without us, and it's that's where the whole conflict comes from. For right now, the difference between the two is external and internal. The specific instances of that are based on a lot of more deep thematic stuff that you choose, but the basic base elements of it are external and internal. In her, the relationship story, so then you also have the relationship story and the overall story through line, which interestingly enough, actually do have an effect on each other. It's almost like, you know, you could, and I think you could go either way, but I'm pretty sure the overall story has an impact on the relationship story and vice versa. In her, uh, the relationship between Theodore and Samantha is all about activities. That's where all the problematic activities are coming from. You know, it's really hard to carry on a relationship when one is a computer and one is a a human being, flesh and blood. Likewise, it just makes sense that the conflict that they feel in their relationship, you know, this like budding romance is all about the activities that they can't actually, you know, what they have to do in order to work out their relationship, the, the physicality of it. That's where their relationship moments come through. And then in an overall sense, everybody in the story, you know, all the people that they run into, his friends, etc., are all dealing with, you know, their relationships with technology and figuring out where they, they fit in. And it's more psychological in nature. That's what gives her, like, a really different feel than a lot of other stories, other typical stories, sci-fi films. Uh, interesting enough, like, Arrival had the same main character and influence character set up, but the overall story and relationship story were flipped. You know, it wasn't about the psychological, trying to figure out how we're going to understand the aliens. That was just between her and the alien, which I think is what I talked about again last week. This setup is actually exactly the same setup as the genre setup for Manchester by the Sea where you have the main character in Fixed Attitude, the overall story in Psychology, everybody's dealing with some kind of psychological dysfunction, the influence character in Situation, and the relationship story in Activity. So, interestingly enough, from Dramatica's perspective, Manchester by the Sea and her have this are in the same genre. Uh, and for genre, we look at the top level of Dramatica. That's where you get the uh, situation, fixed attitude, activity, and psychology, or manipulation. You get those four at the top, and how those are arranged, how they're placed into the different through lines, or which through lines that are going to be looking at those domains, that determines the genre, the feel of the story. So you get a very a very different feel to it. You know, her has a very different feel from Arrival. Not just because, well, actually, that's a really, that's a great example. So her and Arrival are both science fiction. Her has a very different feel to it because it's more about the psychological underpinnings of uh, science fiction. And Arrival is more about, you know, the, the external, about trying to figure out, you know, what it is these guys are trying to communicate to us. So in Arrival, you'll get more the treasonous act where they set off the bombs and they're gunfire as opposed to her you wouldn't have you don't have a lot of activities causing problems for people it's more about their the way they think you know how they think about 
their relationship with technology. So make sure you check that out. It's uh, at narrativefirst.com slash throughlines slash her. If you haven't seen the film, make sure you do see the film. It's a fantastic film. It's great. Love it. It's probably one of my favorite films of 2014. And if you want to see more through lines, if you want to learn more about this, you can always go to narrativefirst.com slash through lines for our entire collection. This week, I received a question about the plot progressions. They were looking at how the through lines are set up and how they're presented in the software or in the, the table of story elements. And they noticed that if you look, let's say, under activity and you see uh, in a clockwise fashion, you will see understanding, doing, learning, and obtaining. Okay, so if you like go around them and they're like, okay, well, that's good. That seems pretty consistent with how everything's presented. But then when I go to look at the different story forms, they're all kind of jumbled up. Sometimes it'll be learning, understanding, doing, obtaining. Sometimes it'll be doing, obtaining, learning, understanding. Why is that and why isn't it consistent? And the reason why is that table that you're looking at is the mind at rest, right? So this is where all Buddha, Zen, this is what you're trying to get to, is where everything is perfectly balanced and you have no inequity. Uh, when a story starts, it doesn't look anything like this. It's actually all kind of jumbled up and mixed up, like a... Melanie always uses the example of a Rubik's Cube, which is awesome. If you had a Rubik's Cube and you tied it with a bunch of rubber bands, all right, it's there, it's fine, but then as you twist and turn everything, it starts to create tension on it, and you have an inequity because the cube wants to zip back into place. Like, it wants to go back into its normal place, its normal setting. And that's exactly what a story wants to do. How it gets switched around and jumbled up is based all on your dynamic choices. So those questions like the main character resolve, change or steadfast, a main character problem solving style, linear or holistic, the story driver, action or decision, story outcome, success or failure, those aren't just for fun. They're not they're actually tied into something. They're not just to keep you busy and to make it seem like you're doing something. <laughs> they're actually when you click those, you're determining basically how you're holding the Rubik's Cube and which pieces you're twisting and how you're twisting it around your hand and it jumbles it all up based on those eight choices and then presents to you a jumbled up version and that's how your story is going to unfold. So it's not always going to unfold at rest. It's not going to unfold understanding, doing, learning, and obtaining. I mean, it, there's all kinds of different combinations. Now, you can drive yourself crazy trying to figure it out and I did this in the beginning so I don't blame you for trying but way back when, I clearly remember spending hours and hours trying to figure out the correlation between the choices that are there and the way that things are set up. Uh, it's virtually impossible. That's the great part about Dramatica. Somebody once told me, why try and figure it out? Because that work has already been done, which I thought was brilliant. It's like, why bother doing that? Because it's already been done for you, so why don't you just use that to, and move on from there and, and be able to figure it out? So from then, I'm just that's what I've always done. It's just like, well, I'll, I'll just accept it for what it is. And I found over the last 20 years that that plot progression is always right. It always feels amazing. And if you do switch it around, you know, a, a success story and a failure story have very different plot progressions. And I think I mentioned earlier this year when I tried to do uh, a holistic character for the screenplay I was writing, when I switched it back to linear, it actually flopped the two acts. For some reason, 
I'm not sure exactly why, but for some reason, switching it to linear, a linear person would go through these two elements first before moving to the second two. You know, a holistic person, I guess, would start with the end and then work to the beginning, and a linear person starts from the beginning and works to the end. I'm not sure exactly how it all works out, but I do know that the difference was very tangible and that the moment that it was switched and I reordered the plot progressions, then those who were thinking linearly, people who had no idea about Dramatica, were perfectly comfortable with the plot progression that I had in place. So that is why the signposts get jumbled up and they're not presented in the same order. It's all based on those dynamic choices uh, that you work with Dramatica in the very beginning, those eight essential questions. And I will leave a link to the eight essential questions on Dramatica.com. So if you don't have the software, you can actually like flip through it, see some examples, and start to realize, whoa, there's actually a lot of really cool stuff here with Dramatica. Another quick thing before I get to the main feature, what I'd like to call problems of perception. And this kind of ties into the article that, that I'm writing this week. There are some terms in the model that are easier for people to understand or easier to apply to their writing. And that's usually the, the process ones, the ones that are in uh, activities and the ones that are in psychology, because you have stuff like conceiving and learning and being and doing and understanding like those are like okay I, I know a goal of understanding that's good well they need to understand uh, what's wrong with this kid like for sixth sense or they need uh you know fisher to have some some greater understanding and inception you know that kind of thing it's like okay i know how to to write that but when it comes to writing like a goal of the future it's like well what does that even mean that's not a verb and well yeah it's not a verb but it, it still has the same story point there's still you can have goals of the future, and you can have goals of the present. You can have goals of memories. Uh, you can have goals of, of conscious, like, or contemplations. All kinds of different goals exist. They don't necessarily have to be verbs. And the important part is when you look at the different story points, regardless if it's goal or consequence or symptom or response or wherever it is, all the way up from problem to issue to concern to domain, those are all actually problems. They're all, like, inflection points of conflict or where inequity comes from. They're just different ways of looking at that inequity. Somebody was working on a story, and they had a problem of perception. The main character's problem was perception. And the problem with their encoding was they just took it at face value, like, oh, okay, well, their problem is perception, so they have a problem with the way they see things. They don't see things the way they are. And thought, well, okay, I went ahead and I, I took care of that dramatic point. Now I can move on to the next one. But the problem is they never really encoded that as an actual problem. It's not his perceptions themselves that are wrong it's what he, it's that the fact that he's actually perceiving you know so it's like i'm i'm perceiving like take for instance sixth sense i'll just destroy it for you right spoiler alert here because that's the easiest example it's not his perceptions that are wrong it's the fact that he's perceiving things that he's locked in uh this act of perceiving the way they everything seems from his perspective that is causing him troubles and it's likely that he needs to get past this perceiving and see what's actually, and then take things for what they really are, which is the actuality, to see the reality of things. It's not that he has to see the reality of things, it's that he has to start actualizing <laughs> or looking to actuality as a means of resolving issues in his day-to-day -day life. And that's how you get the difference between perception in actuality, and that exists through everything. Another one would be something like knowledge or thought, right? It's not what he knows that's a problem. It's not like, oh, I know a secret that nobody else knows. That's not the issue. It's the fact that people are holding on to their knowledge as a basis for what they do. You know, they're, they're knowing. You know, if you kind of convert everything into a verb, that might help you out. And they need to, thinking 
at the end. They need to embrace thought as a means of, of resolving that problem. So when you go through Dramatica and you work through all these different story points, every single box or cube is like a little function, like a little uh, gang, I don't know what they are, not ganglia, but it's a little like uh, object. If you know anything about object-oriented software, where you know you have different uh, blocks of code that functions that are called, that's a function. So like you're calling the function of perception in a story. It's not the actual perceptions themselves. That's when people get caught up and they think dramatic is paint by numbers, and they just like, oh, well, he's perceiving that uh, things are blue instead of red. No, it's it's the fact that he's actually coming from a place of perception that is causing him to be blind to what's really going on. And you actually have to encode those problems to make that problem in the main character through line actually work. If you have any questions about any of this, make sure you write narrativefirst.com slash contact. Uh, it might be a little bit confusing at first. Of course, you can always do the Dramatic Mentorship Program where uh, we can step walk with you step by step and show you exactly how this all works out and get you to a place where you're able to write these functions all on your own and make them a part of your own mind, even without Elon Musk's Neuralink technology. <laughs>
the example this week is the perfect three-act structure, the one everybody loves to talk about, which is Witness. Uh, that's the Peter Ware film from the mid-'80s. Uh, everybody uses it as the super example of this is the perfect screenplay you have to write You know, that's great. And it's funny because it's not the perfect screenplay, especially if you're locked in a hero's journey slash uh, sequence method point of view, because the protagonist and the main character are split. So it's not as easy as they would hope it would be. It's not like Die Hard, which I'm sure is much, much easier, although I'm pretty sure that's probably a two-act structure. When you have the protagonist and main character split, it becomes sort of difficult to understand where the tension is coming from, because most sequence method uh, points of view always want to put the protagonist in the, the driver's seat of where the tension is coming from, because they automatically think, you know, whoever's pursuing the story goal is the one where the tension is coming from, so that's where you want to have the focus. But you can actually play around with it. In the example this week, I, I do put the protagonist in that driver's seat, just because we are talking about the overall story tension, and it probably makes more sense in that context to have the protagonist there, but you could just as well have the main character be concerned with these tension points. In other words, you could have written a witness from more of a main character perspective, than sort of the main character protagonist split that they have. But certainly, Harrison Ford's character uh, book does not have a whole lot of personal junk going on. You know, it's Rachel's the one that's dealing with, like, oh, should I marry this guy? Or, you know, who's this new stranger? He's very handsome because it's, you know, Harrison Ford. What should I do? That kind of stuff. She's the one dealing with the personal problem. She has her own tension, her own through line. But in the overall story through line, you can bounce back and forth, and like I mentioned last week, these tension questions, because they're subjective, you can just apply them to anyone. So, hey, it's, a, it's open season on, on tension. You can use whoever wants to look at the story requirements or the story prerequisites or the consequence. You can use them to do that. Just know that it becomes a little more difficult when you use these sort of smaller, more reductive paradigms of story if you don't understand fully the difference between the protagonist and the main character. And I've written tons of articles on that. I feel like everybody understands that, nowadays they might not have the difference in terminology i do still get you know emails from people who are so happy to have actually finally discovered this because it's something they've always known in story but always had to fight against professors against i will leave links to the the various articles and blog posts that i've written about the difference between the protagonist and the main character but as long as you know that the protagonist is the central driver of the the plot the overall story is the one pursuing he or she sorry is the one pursuing the uh, overall story outcome because believe it or not samantha is actually the protagonist of her which i also i added that to the influence character uh, protagonist list which i'll leave link to that as well uh, sorry a little sidebar there and then the main character is the audience's eyes and ears into the story that's like the person whose place we take not the narrator but the person that we actually experience the personal problems from like so my classic example is Shawshank Redemption where not only is read the narrator but he's also the main character and we get a very you know intimate look at what it is that that he was dealing with so when you uh, plug in you know the different story dynamics for a witness like I was saying you actually end up with some really strange uh, story requirements and story prerequisites for a witness the prerequisites are impulsive responses and the requirements are how things are changing and the consequence is innermost desires now that seems crazy because it was a lot easier with Star Wars in the sixth sense where you had conceiving and learning it's like oh I can see you know somebody who needs to conceive something before they learn something but how does somebody impulsive response something before they how things are changing something that seems a little more difficult and you have to just understand that again witness has a different goal than the sixth sense a different kind of goal than the sixth sense or Star Wars in witness it's a situational goal. It is the future. They're not interested in killing the corrupt cops or 
keeping the kid out of, I mean, they are interested in keeping the kid out of harm's way, but they're more interested in the state of affairs. Like the situation is a problem. And the situation is this kid saw something, he witnessed something, and now it's a clash between a modern world and uh, I guess you could say non-progressive world, anti-progressive world. And it's a situation. There's nothing you can do about it. The kid's not going anywhere. The cops are, it's like these two entities are now locked in battle and there has to be some release. There has to be some change in the situation. And the future goal is to get to a place where things can return to the way they were before. Like, do we, is there a future, is there a possible future here where everybody can be back to the way they were? And they do actually eventually get to that place. I hope that didn't spoil that for anyone. It's, it's, you know, it's been 30 years. You should, you should have seen it by now. So the central dramatic question of Witness is, will things return to the way they were? And that works perfectly with the story goal of the future. So then the Act 1 dramatic tension is dealing with impulsive responses, and the Act 2 dramatic tension is dealing with the story requirements. So the Act 1 dramatic tension of impulsive responses, think of it this way. Actually, let's start with the requirement, because it's usually easier, I find, to work backwards. So with the requirement, to get to that future... Uh, how can they how can they avoid things changing or how can they keep things from progressing too far or regressing backwards so it's like will book be able to remain hidden and therefore protect samuel you know how can they keep that that progression from it you know progressing into a more violent state but before he can do that it's will the community actually keep to itself will it be able to keep to itself in other words will it be able to control its impulsive responses and also the impulse to to lash out to, to, you know, if you think of, uh, you know, it's, it's violence, right? That's the main thing. You know, oh, that's a gun. The gun kills. <laughs> Whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> this gun of the hand is for the taking of human life. We believe it is wrong to take life. That is only for God. You know, if you look, if you just look at just violence, it's like, will we regress into violence? You know, that could be the progress of the second act. And then the first one is, will we be able to control our impulsive responses? Uh, will we be able to, you know, control our, our animalistic urges to lash out and, and kill one another? So that if you think of that progression from impulsive responses to progress to future, then you can see how a story consequence of innermost desires at the end could be all about fear. You know, it's the fear of violence. Uh, and the, the fear of a lack of common human decency. Like, are we going to go back to our base nature? Are we going to go back to animalistic nature here? Or are we going to be able to get that future, you know, that, that, that kind of like promised land, that uh, castle on a hill or a golden palace that we've always been trying to achieve by remaining away from moderni modernity, modernity, by remaining away from <laughs> the more modern world, uh, will we be able to get there, or are we going to go back to our base desires here? Are we going to regress back? Uh, not even regress back, but are we going to be just back into, are we going to be in a state? See, that's the difference between regression, regression, which would be the second act, to actually being in a state of just being like, like you know, a violent nature. You know, your id, your innermost desires, that consequence. Are we going to be in that place? That is where you would get the tension in the third act. To me, it's really, I think it's great that Dramatica offers the opportunities to tell all kinds of different stories. So that stories, they do function the same way. You know, they, they have requirements, they have prerequisites, but the actual uh, story points change depending on the narrative. You know, like, even though the stories are completely different, like uh, Sixth Sense and Star Wars, 
they still had conceiving and learning, but you could tell them in a completely different way. And then you can also have completely different narratives that have completely different requirements and prerequisites, like progress or how things are changing, and impulsive responses. And that to me speaks to the power of Dramatica and just the totality of it to be able to describe all of narrative. Lovely the article that you will find in next week's newsletter. If you want to, I'll, I'll leave a link to the entire series, uh, Plotting Your Story with Dramatica, which I've been working on almost like two months now. And it might end up being a book when I'm done with it. But uh, it's a, a really great way to actually figure out how to actually use Dramatica to you know, nuts and bolts, sit down and start constructing a story. That's it for another week of the Narrative First podcast. Have a great week of writing, and we will see you next time.